John Mulaney. John John Mulaney Laney. John Mulaney. John John Mulaney Laney. What's it like to have feminine hips? I'm John Mulaney. John Mulaney. John John Mulaney Laney. John Mulaney. John John Mulaney Laney. So good. I like that we did that apropos of nothing. That's what's improv. That's what's... Oh, John? John. What's up? This is all gold. I was feeling something weird in my nose this afternoon. Something like, wouldn't go away, wouldn't go away, wouldn't... It wouldn't, wouldn't go. Yeah, it wouldn't Finally, go I took my camera out, my phone. And you took a picture of your nose? Just to see it, because I didn't want to walk all the way to the back of the mirror. Huge. I'm talking five inches long <laughs> nose hair curling Ooh, upward. That'll do it. Like a mustache. <laughs> and I was yeah. like, how has no one pointed this out to me? <laughs> Everyone like... Because this was not today. <laughs> this has been here. Sometimes I, I, the human body is an amazing thing. Like, think of the fact that your body is covered in a ton of hairs that are only as long as they're ever going to get because they fall out like the perfect rate. Right? Yeah, sure. The creation of hair. Amazing. Why do they get so long from the Some, nose? Sometimes I don't know what this is, but one hair on your body just doesn't fall out and it keeps growing. I've had that happen with like mustache hairs and nose hairs. But the weirdest one, I was like walking for a long time in the sun because I used to do that when I didn't have a car in college. I kept like seeing this thing. <laughs> I was oh, like, no. I had no idea what it was. It was driving me crazy. Like I thought there was like a spider web on my face. So I was like rubbing my face. And eventually like I stopped and it entered my vision. I realized that like it was the like a faint blonde like, you know where your eyebrows exist, but there's no pigmentation, so yeah, you can't see yeah. One of those hairs had gotten, like, an inch and a half long. I'm like, how? <laughs> I've had this for days, weeks. No one's been like, what's with your wizard hair? <laughs> what's with your wizard brow? Yeah, what's with your weird hair, dude? No one said that. No one said that. Just like no one said, what's with your, what's with your nose hair? I bro? felt like bo 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 Zero credits. Mania, but when it gets bad, I take something for it. And welcome back to Zero Credits, the show where we talk about things. My name's Henry. And my name's John Exuberance. And together we're Henry and John, premiering season three of Zero Credits. Like the last two seasons of Zero Credits starts on a major, major energy high and then just kind of goes down from there. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it started off last week by doing that crazy thing we did and debuting the new theme song, which you probably just heard again. And now we're just going to get right back into what we were doing, you know? Yeah, I mean, why change what works? Is this working? Yeah, how I guess. You, how can you tell? Our analytics are all over the place. <laughs> well, that's how you can tell. They're all over the place. You know what's funny? Oh? I checked. No, I didn't check. I got an email from that Apple podcasting service. I usually ignore them. Yeah, as you do. As you do. This, this email, however... Said, uh, oh, you know, as you know, person who received this email, we debuted our beta test for podcast analytics last time we emailed you. And I was like, oh, but what? <laughs> uh-huh. And Good reaction. So I was like, oh, well, I mean, if iTunes is going to do it now, we should check it, see what our analytics is like. Uh-huh. Not enough data. Great. Not enough data to, to get any... <laughs> Any information. Okay, so that's... Uh, Every tab said not enough data. Could be better. Yeah. Could be better. I don't know if that's a reflection on us. I think it's a reflection on Apple. Yeah, I feel like the beta's probably only for, like, the big podcast. You know, like... Serial. Yeah, like Siri. Serial. 
Yeah, and Siri Town. Siri Town. Yeah, you know, the big ones like Comedy Bing Bong. And my favorite, Hey Google. And your favorite. Do you still hey, Do you still say Hey Google? I say Okay Google. Okay Google. <laughs> Alrighty. So yeah, season three of Zero Credits. What are we going to do with a whole new 50 episodes? So I feel like last season we we definitely started ambitious. There were there were a lot of things we wanted to try. There were a lot of things we did try. Remember the break? The break? Remember the oh, break? Oh, I do remember the break. We that was that was pretty good for like a good 10 weeks. Yeah, for like 10 weeks. The break was like a serious part and then it turns out the break's a whole lot of work. Yeah, well, it's just we ran out of friends with music. Yeah, I mean, I, I I love the idea of like putting people out there, uh, and ma- I mean, the break is not dead. If if anything <laughs> ever like falls into our Venus flytrap mouths, the break will return. I swear to God. Yeah, I, I mean, we did get to promote my future brother-in-law, his bands a few times. That was kind of nepotism and fun. Yeah, I love nepotism and fun. And we 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 also we got to plug one of my colleagues from college. The uh, Dumb Spell, remember Dumb Spell? Oh yeah, Dumb Spell was really good. The, the punk rock sort of uh, band. Man, I wish people would tell you that they were the good times when you were living them. Thanks, Andy Dwyer. That's not his name. That's a different show. Thanks, Andy Bernard. So I think that uh, for season three, we need to set the bar real low. Yeah, that way when we do do something, it's good. It'll be surprising. So just... Imagine the worst version of this podcast and expect that. So Zero Credits actually follows a pretty traditional three-act structure, uh, where in the first act, you have the uh, the hero who begins the journey. Call to, the call to adventure, he either hears the call or rejects the call. Yes. Or she. From from an inauspicious beginning, the call to adventure is heeded. That leads, of course, into the second act, the dark middle chapter. Where you meet the father and or the mother. I'm meeting with a goddess. This is all Joseph Campbell. I tried to read his stuff. Kind of boring. And then, of course, you enter the third act, which is where everything just kind of falls apart and the story remains the same until the end. And that's season three of Zero Credits. Yeah, you know. So, we, we're getting out of our dark middle chapter, we've fought our demons, we've exercised the robot, as you do in uh-huh. all great literature. Joseph Campbell, ABCD. And, and I mean, the, just ABC. Yeah, don't talk about... De- spoiler! Oh, and then C, it's like the end of a sitcom episode where everything goes back to normal, but for 50 weeks! Yeah, so everything, I hope you are all excited for a return to blissful homeostasis in these coming 50 weeks. Yeah. Just, like, being wrapped up in lukewarm water for 50 weeks. How do you wrap yourself in water? You could uh, soak a towel in lukewarm water, then wrap it around your face. That sounds almost comforting. I think that's waterboarding. Oh, no. I thought you meant, like, like a compress oh, on like the head. Oh, like a hot towel on, on, the on face? a plane. Oh, I man. meant tightly wrapped around the breathing that sounds, apparatus. That does not sound like homeostasis. That sounds like that threatens homeostasis. Okay, well, whatever you need to do to maintain homeostasis, cut a hole in the towel. Or heterostasis. <laughs> yeah, uh, we want to be inclusive. Henry... That's got to be the worst joke I've done. What's up? You know, we start every episode with the worst joke you have ever done. Uh, so, one thing that I was thinking about, and we can, we can get to more serious matters later. Are there serious matters to get to, John? There's co- one kind of serious matter about a racist, uh, which is kind of worth talking about. But I wanted to kind of posit something to you. In uh, in classic zero credit style, I want to ask you a question about your personal life, particularly how it relates to pop culture, without talking about anything recent, current, or topical. Okay, so this is like a blast from the past segment. Remember when we used to try to shoehorn <laughs> segments in? Yeah, that was fun. Yeah, so this is Blast from the Past. Maybe there are more segments in Season 3. Who knows? It's fluid. Blast from the Past. Blast from the Bay. I'm actually going to call this uh, cursed, bu- cursed by the Past. 
Oh, cursed by the past. Yeah, it really doesn't rhyme. Why, why not cursed by the worst? Okay, cursed by the worst. But it's W-E-R-S-T, and we're talking about German sausage. Now, what's your question? So my question is, and this is something that I was pondering earlier today, have you ever felt like you are burdened with a certain amount of knowledge about something in popular culture that seemingly no one else remembers or cares about? Well, I mean, I I do know a lot, and and I I want to stress this a lot about the Pokemon games. Yeah, and I, I do have just an absurd amount of knowledge about typings and move sets and stats that a lot of people have probably more than likely, more than I would say seventy percent likely, have moved on. <laughs> They've moved on to different things. To different things. Uh to let you know though, uh quick aside, I was actually watching this YouTube channel for like an hour where a guy like constructs save files in various Pokemon games that people say are impossible situations to get out of. And he constructs elaborate ways to get out of them using like typing and secrets it's really cool you gotta send me that i think his name is pika spray but he he made a video where this is nerdy and no one gets it but you're trapped in the elite four uh with no pokemon that know any hms so you can't escape and the only pokemon you have is an electrode that knows self-destruct oh good uh and he gets out of it all right gets out of it uh spoilers Anyway. But how he does it is different. Yeah, the journey. So your question is, do I ever feel like I'm burdened by knowledge out of time and space? Yes. Is there anything in pop culture that for some reason resonated with you and something happened about it, but it stuck with you and you just kind of keep it to this day? And while you think about that, because it's kind of a a big subject... I'm going to tell you what mine is. All right. It's a story out out of time. And space. And space. So let me spin you a yarn, Henry, about Kingdoms of Amalur Reckoning. Oh my god. Kingdoms of Amalur Reckoning? The, the, the video game. The video game that came out in like 2011 or whatever. It would... It... It... it <laughs> Rhode Island. Oh, the so you know. Of, the, yeah. oh, so you know. Oh, here's something that I want us to do going need, into this. We need to give so much context We're, to the listeners. I I played that game. We are going to give a significant amount of context, but what I want to do first is I want to take a quick break from the podcast so we can both watch a trailer for Kingdoms of Amalur Reckoning to set the mood. Okay, we can do that. Okay, break. So I don't think it's really necessarily important to talk about the trailer we just saw. Yeah, no, that that added no value. I learned nothing because I already knew everything. Oh, it, it definitely set the mood for me, which was the idea. Uh, so you're actually aware of this, which makes me very happy because I was thinking about this today. I saw it mentioned in a list and I thought that I was the only person who was aware of it. Uh, but to give a little bit of context to the listeners so you will be cursed by this knowledge... Uh, Kingdoms of Amalur Reckoning was a video game by 38 Studios, a studio created by Red Sox baseball player Kurt Schilling. All right. Uh, And sponsored by the state of Rhode Island. So uh, 38 Studios and Big Huge Games. Big Huge Games. Uh, Big Huge Games, by the way. Uh, has a great pedigree. Uh, the creators of Big Huge Games made Alpha Centauri. Uh, fantastic pedigree just from that alone. Uh, but they got together with Big Huge Games and Kurt Schilling, uh, had an idea that he wanted to, uh, finance and produce this large, overarching, multiplayer, massively multiplayer online RPG that was to be the spiritual successor, not to World of Warcraft, but to Kurt Schilling's favorite game, EverQuest. Really? It was supposed to be a spiritual successor to EverQuest? So the name in production was Project Copernicus. Okay. And the idea was it was supposed to be similar to EverQuest and that would have a ton of freedom, a huge story. Like, World of Warcraft's cool and all. Uh, but as someone who played EverQuest, and EverQuest was not a great game, 
Uh, its commitment to storytelling and drudgery and the completeness of its world for the time, completely peerless. But you just revealed something that I always theorized. It was supposed to be an MMORPG. Project Copernicus was eventually supposed to be a massively multiplayer online RPG that was meant to be massive, sprawling, have a huge pedigree, and destroy all the competition. And have a huge player base. So I believe that 38 Studios started in Maryland, maybe. Okay. Uh, I might be totally wrong, but to... To finance this endeavor, uh, like all good businesses do, they shopped around to see which states would have them. Yeah. And at the time, it just so happened that the great state of Rhode Island had a uh, an interesting initiative, which was a quasi-public economic development corporation. So an economic development corporation issues things that are pretty similar to municipal bonds. The idea is you use state money to make business. Yeah. Generally, that's done in the issuance of loans, which are financed through the purchase of bonds from the public. And these loans are meant to create long-lasting jobs over a period of time. So the collateral, I guess, in addition to any pledged collateral, is you're going to make jobs for our state. And hey, I mean, ho- hopefully there's like a huge amount of game developers in Rhode Island or something. So what they did, uh, they said, hey, Rhode Island has this economic development corporation. How much would they be willing to give us if we promised we'd create? Just keep in mind, this is a very small studio that has never made anything. What if we promise the state of Rhode Island that within six years, we will create 750 jobs? That's a big ask. Yeah. 750 people for a video game company is not the most, but it's a lot. I mean, I guess if you were imagining that there's going to be, like, servers and server maintenance and continuous updates for the subscription base and everything needs to remain up at all times, mm-hmm. then I guess 750 employees or jobs would seem reasonable. So when they went to the state of Rhode Island, they said, for 750 jobs created in your state, uh, will you finance us $75 million? And the state of Rhode Island said, yes, absolutely. Uh, mistake number one. <laughs> uh, so the state of Rhode Island agreed to give them $75 million to start developing a video game. And immediately what 38 Studios did was they spent... Every cent they could on every pedigree they could get. It's almost as if someone who didn't know a a lot about, like, nuance for these kind of things looked at the kind of product they wanted to deliver, then just got the most famous people who did that thing. Yeah, so it was going to be a high fantasy setting. So they got high fantasy best-selling writer R.A. Salvatore. Yeah, they got R.A. Salvatore to, to write, get this... 10,000 years of backstory for the game. They had him write 10,000 years of backstory. They had a, a ton of really good, notable voice talent. They had Todd McFarlane uh, doing the character design. Todd McFarlane, of course, uh, is an artist and writer of comic books, also owned a majorly successful toy company. So they get Todd McFarlane. Who's going to do the music in this game? I guess we should get Grant Kirkhope, uh, the dude who did all the music for the best Rare games. They got Grant Kirkhope for that? They got Grant Kirkhope for the music. He's the composer. And who would you think would be the game designer? You would imagine someone with a, a pedigree in, in creating fantasy role-playing games. Like a Ken Ralston, perhaps. From Elder Scrolls... From Elder Scrolls... From Elder Scrolls 4... Yes, Elder Oblivion. Scrolls 4... Floor Oblivion. Uh, so that is a shit ton of pedigree. Yeah, I mean, you've got... It's like... What if we went out and made the all-star cast for this particular genre of video game? Boom, here we did. And also, we're out of money now. Yeah, what if we... It's... 
way more fucked up than that, though, Henry. Yeah. Because they basically said, we're going to make a Space Jam team of everyone who seems like they'd be great at making a fantasy role-playing game. They did that. They made the Space Jam team. They assembled the Monstars. <laughs> the Monstars. Wait, no. The Monstars the are monst- the bad people. The Monstars are, are the bad people. But... Maybe these people were the bad people, because continue your story. Maybe they were the Monstars after all, and that's the real lesson. Uh, but essentially what happened was Project Copernicus, huge, massively multiplayer online RPG. Anyone who looks at it from a distance realizes such an endeavor would cost hundreds of millions of dollars. Yeah. $75 million, that's a lot. It's a lot, but it's not quite G- enough. Given what they were spending, they couldn't reach that target. So what uh, 38 Studios did with Big Huge Games and all of these people, they created a video game called Kingdoms of Amalur Reckoning, which was meant to serve as a prequel, a full-length video game as a teaser for their massively multiplayer online RPG launching in the near future. Really? So this was supposed to hold you over? This was supposed to hold you over. This was supposed to be representative of what the massively multiplayer online game would be like. And so, the plan was we recruit some of the costs and the sales and fuel spend all of the profit yeah, that, on the game. The idea is we create a profitable, well-received video game. Uh, we prove to the state of Rhode Island that we can create jobs because in spinning up production for Reckoning, they created, I think, 165 jobs, which was way ahead of projections. State of Rhode Island was very happy. Yeah. So they decided to make this game and recoup some of their losses from it. But anyone looking at that from any distance uh, realizes that that's not a great plan. Because with the pedigree that they enlisted, that game sold a lot. Not nearly enough to make up for its development costs. It was a a poorly run endeavor. And I want to be totally clear... Kingdoms of Amalur Reckoning is a really fun game. The combat is fun and adaptive. The the skill tree thing is kind of neat. You can kind of go into the three classic archetypes of like rogue, wizard, uh, warrior. But you can mix and match between them and get all these in-between classes and skills and stuff. And if you don't like what you did at any time, you can respect. Yeah, I, I, I really liked how that game played. The story was good. The voice acting was good. It was all pretty good, other than it was pretty easy. Yeah, I mean, there was not really much of a challenge in there, even on like the harder difficulties, even if it had difficulties. I don't quite remember. But also, it was hella empty. Yeah, it was hugely empty. It almost felt like a multiplayer RPG with no one in it. Exactly, like, it, down to the exclamation points and over people's heads to give you a quest and then you run out to an area and like clear out all the quests oh hey you get this house now that's kind of cool but if you're like me i'm a completionist when it comes to rpgs i do every quest that you give me yeah and then i move on i hit max level and then i look at the world map i only covered maybe a not even a third of it yeah, it was, to play the game was a very strange experience knowing that, cause I played it relatively soon after it came out. Yeah, same. And, and knowing that it was supposed to be this lead up for this massively multiplayer online RPG, I'm like, okay, cool, I see what they're going for. It kind of feels like I'm just playing in this world they created for this other thing, uh, even though they said that wasn't the case. But when the game came out, uh, it had kind of divisive reviews, uh, where people are like, this feels weird. The existence of this game feels weird and ill-advised. It's good. Like, it had, it had really good reviews. Uh, but generally pe- speaking, people were like, it's empty. Why is it so empty? Like, why is it so huge? People, people often made criticisms in reviews. They're like, why? This is like really good, but for some reason it feels like a scam. And then we get into the final part of the story. Yeah. Uh, which is in the development of Kingdoms of Amalur Reckoning and then going into the development of Project Copernicus, uh, the entire operation went bankrupt, starting, uh, with them failing to make a $1.11 million loan payment. Whoa. Uh, they defaulted on that loan payment, just didn't send it. Uh, they were, then the state of Rhode Island received an anonymous payment of $100,000 as a good faith payment to keep them going. 
And then, uh, eventually, they fully defaulted on their debt, laid off all of their staff. Apparently, Kurt Schilling put all of his money into it as well. His oh, entire, no. Apparently, he had $50 million, and he put all of his money into it. Oh, that's a shame. Uh, they laid off everyone at 38 Studios, everyone at Big Huge Games. Yeah, I, I remember that. They folded, too. Yeah, they, they folded, too, because that was what they had going on. They... It, Anyway, hundreds of people lost their jobs, and there were uh, inquests and police investigations into it for any amount of wrongdoing. Generally, what people seem to think is there's two camps. Uh, one, that Kurt Schilling and 38 Studios really, really uh, misrepresented what it takes to produce a video game of that scale create jobs for that long for that period of time and they took advantage of the economic development corporation of rhode island on a bet basically betting that they could run out the money or run out the loan long enough to create a product to recoup their losses uh and the other school of thought is that the economic development corporation of rhode island probably should have done their research and and thought about how expensive something like that really would have been before they gave them $75 million, basically, in good faith. Yeah. Uh, but at the end of the day, the people of Rhode Island ended up having to pay back $28 million in outstanding bonds for that economic development corporation. Yeah. So, I, I think it's safe to say it's a little bit of column A, little bit of column B. I don't think anyone's blameless. Yeah. Uh, I definitely think the 38 Studios fleeced the state of Rhode Island. Uh, and, uh, whether that was, Intent- mal- whether that was intentional or not, it's tough to say. Yeah. But at the end of the day, you have this fantastic story of a very passable video game that defrauded the state of Rhode Island. You know what's funny in all of that? Because they went bankrupt and defaulted and uh, Rhode Island needed to recoup some of its losses, Rhode Island is the legal owner of that <laughs> yeah. IP. Yeah, they are... Uh... <laughs> if you want to make another Kingdom- Kingdoms of Amalur game, you gotta go talk to Rhode Island, because they still own it. And the thing about 38 Studios is 38 Studios was technically an IP development company. The idea is the uh, great majority of their holdings were supposed to be intellectual properties. Okay. So they owned the Kingdoms of Amalur property, associated with the name of Todd McFarlane, Ari Salvatore. And that was their first IP. And they were like, we're going to own all these different IPs and we'll be like a big EA development company. We'll develop intellectual properties. Uh, did not happen. No, they, they got the one. They got the one. And then that one got seized by the state of Rhode Island. The state the of Rhode smallest state. So if Rhode Island decides to make Kingdoms of Amalur 2 Reckoning, <laughs> they could damn well decide to do so. Yeah, they could if they wanted to, but I, I think... The gov like it left a really bad taste in the governor's mouth, and so he's just gonna let it sit on the shelf. The entire IP, all ten thousand pages. From what I understand, uh, the the state of Rhode Island is still soured on providing funding to video game companies. Yeah. As a result, I mean it's it's a very risky business to begin with because no matter how much work you put into it, it's all about the player base. If they aren't there. None of your work matters. And I think that this might not even be a conversation that's extremely worth having, but I think that Kingdoms of Amalur Reckoning exists in the most interesting place in video games, which is games that are good, games that have, like, a story behind them and are completely forgotten. Yeah. Like, I, I don't think you could walk up to anyone on the street and be like, hey, you play Kingdoms of Amalur Reckoning? No one would, do it. No one would know. It was a $75 million uh, fleecing of a state uh, that was pretty good and really good. Rank, was fun. Had good reviews. What an amazing thing. No one remembers it. Well, you got to think of, like, did they, did they, did they have a marketing budget or did they kind of just release it and hope people would find out about it? I feel like there was there was quite a bit of marketing surrounding it at the time, but I mean it, it's tough to tell. Yeah. But I mean you have you have games like that that come out every once in a while. and You're like, what's the what's the story? Like, uh, 
I feel like there was a game that came out fucking forever ago, but it's called like Advent Rising or something. The story was written by Orson Scott Card. I don't remember it at all. Like it was fully written by him. I played it. It was fun. It was good. And no one remembers it. I don't think that's a real thing. No, but there's a lot of those weird things where it's like a famous author wrote the story or whatever. Or, or like, you know, it, it's the same people who did blank. Mm-hmm. And for some, for whatever reason, it just, it never took off. Yeah, just for some reason, it, it didn't become part of our, like, collective consciousness. Yeah, it is real. It does it, exist. It's real. And if you, you can play and win a million dollars, according to this box art. Yeah, that was, uh, I think that was their major downfall is they had like a million dollar contest associated with it for no reason that no one ended up winning. That's what you always want. <laughs> you want a contest tied into your game that when it's over, the hype will immediately drop off off the cliff. Maybe that's the problem with both Advent Rising and Kingdoms All Reckoning. They're based on scams. It could be. Probably we don't remember the games that are scams. You know what's going to be one of those games, just give it like five or so years? Star Citizen? Yes. <laughs> oh. But that was not what I was thinking of. But yeah, no, Star Citizen, oh my god, I don't need, we can't, we, we can't, can't even get into we it. We can't even get into it. That $27,000 ship looks really cool. That's what I was about to, they just released a, a weird bundle thing for 27000 <laughs> real dollars. Real American dollars. That is insane. Who is playing? The game is not released yet. It's yep. still being developed. Yeah, and yet they're selling ships. You can buy a ship for two hundred and fifty dollars if the twenty seven thousand one. Yeah, is if too it's rich too rich for, for you. your blood, if you're like, I don't know about this. I should just buy one for two hundred and fifty. I don't know. Oh yikes! Oh yikes! Bitcoin. Uh, and you can't even say it's a joke. Like the one million dollar bundle that came out with Saints Row Four, which was obviously a joke. But then, you know, if someone happened to get it, then they were like, sure, we'll, we'll actually deliver. <laughs> yeah. What I was going to say is give it like, I don't know, maybe a, another half decade. Ukulele. Ukulele. Oh, is that the people who... Did that ever come out? That did come out. Really? The people who were behind Banjo-Kazooie, uh, or a lot of them, a lot of the major players... Mm, but got, it's not rare, right? They got together and formed their own studio called Playtronic. Okay, and they ha- they had a uh, what is it called? Not uh, not a go a Kickstarter, mm-hmm. and I actually pledged to it, so I actually supported it, and they made their their thing a bunch times over. Okay, and it came out, and it was just mediocre. Grant Kirkhope also did the music. He for did. Ukulele. He did. He came back, but That's... it was just there. It was just, it was okay, but it was kind of like Banjo Kazooie was in a very special time in our lives, you mm-hmm. know? And, and, and it was a very special time in the industry where platformers were still being made and people were still competing with each other to make the best platformer. And Banjo-Kazooie, hands down, is one of the best platformers of all time. Mm-hmm. Now skip 15 years into the future. Yeah. We're in a completely different industry. I I guess the the expectations change such that... I mean, it's, it's a shame that they can never recreate the best... Banjo-Kazooie game, Banjo-Kazooie Nuts and Bolts. I uh, will but, stab you. <laughs> I genuinely very much like Banjo-Kazooie Nuts and Bolts. What uh, is your problem? It's a very good game. Uh, no, I it st- isn't. I still remember... Are you a bad person? I still remember being in Sears. So, I don't know if you remember this. Oh, Sears used to sell video games. <laughs> uh, do you remember... And there, they would have stores, too. Do you remember they would have, like, controllers that are plugged into walls with a TV that's, like, a hundred feet up in the air? Yeah. And then you play the video game? Yeah, I played like a dra- Dragoon or something. Yeah. I, I had no I, idea what I was doing. I remember playing Banjo-Kazooie on one of those, and it was a life-changing experience. It blew my fucking mind. I could not... Okay, I believe in Banjo-Kazooie. They're like carrot enemies. Yeah. Uh, so, I had never played a 3D platformer before. I did not play Super Mario 64 until later. Uh, but I would turn away from the carrots, and when I turned back, they had moved, because in my mind, I didn't understand how the things 
I guess this is like how a baby thinks. Oh yeah, object permanence. Yeah, I could not grasp the idea that object permanence could exist in a game and things like move when you're not looking at them. Well, if you think about all the 2D platformers you probably played growing up, like Super Mario World and stuff like that, when things are off screen, they're not moving. (laughs) The screen's only moving where you are. I mean, I, growing up until... Uh, later, I didn't have, like, video game consoles when they came out. Oh. Like, I played Banjo-Kazooie. Uh, I don't even know if I owned a Nintendo 64 yet. I think I just had a PlayStation. Oh, okay. And so... I had not played anything on it. What? <laughs> you just had one to have one? I just had one. Oh. Um, I mean, when I got a PS2, the only video game I had for a year was Onimusha. <laughs> That's... Is that a game? No oh, wonder man. you played Kingdoms of Amalur Reckoning. You, <laughs> no you one were like, this is, this is a game for John. <laughs> no one remembers Onimusha. No one is Onimusha. Oh, listen, Henry, let me tell you another piece of cursed knowledge. Did, wait, wait, did you tell, wait, you told us on the podcast you only got a PlayStation 2 to play Japanese export games, right? No, I ended up doing that eventually. Okay. Uh, but I bought it initially only to play uh japanese games that have been translated to english uh like metal gear um okay yeah no the playstation 2 uh big fan of zone of the enders because it had that metal gear solid 2 demo anyway uh onimusha this you're gonna learn now We're- you ever play resident evil yes uh onimusha is resident evil in feudal japan Feudal Japan, so no guns. No, well, there's a flintlock rifle. Eh, it's not a gun. But there's mostly just a sword, and there's bugs. Can you only swing? You can't swing and move at the same time? Oh, it is absolutely tank controls. That is the worst. <laughs> it's uh, very bad. Uh, we'll watch a trailer of it later. We don't need to. Anyway. I feel like we're into the weeds, <laughs> We got man. way out into the weeds. Kingdoms of Amal are Reckoning. I'm glad you all know now. <laughs> I just looked back the at game, the file, and we'd been talking for 20 minutes. Yeah. I have no idea what we've said. The g- the game that cost Rhode Island residents $28 million, <laughs> yep. Kingdom Savamala Reckoning, written by R.A. Salvatore. I would recommend everyone go and download it on Steam. Is it on Steam? I think it's on the PC. I played it on uh, Xbox. Yeah, me too. Yeah. <laughs> it was in that weird... It- the Xbox is in a weird Xbox 360. Uh-huh. It was in a weird state where it's like when it released it had a bunch of games, but I bought it 5 years into the <laughs> 3 to 5 years into the the, the console's lifespan. Uh-huh. So it's like, oh, there are no games coming out anymore, but Kingdoms of Amalur Reckoning came this out. This is coming out. This is for me. Oh man, it was fun, but it was yeah. just like the max level was 40 mm-hmm. in like a 100 or to 200 hour game. Man, you know what would be fascinating? If we went to, like, the Kingdoms of Amalur Reckoning message boards, see if anyone's, like, still all about this game. There, oh, let's look up a speed run later. There are people who probably are still into it, because there are people who are still into everything. That's my favorite thing about Awesome Games Done Quick, this yearly... uh this yearly thing where people get together and try to beat video games as quickly as possible. For charity. Uh, for charity. Usually cancers. And uh, my, Research. Fa- my favorite thing about it is watching people who are totally normal people who have devoted hundreds, if not thousands of hours to video games that aren't, like, famous. Yeah. That aren't the... Like, they're not the video games people remember. They're like... Restar. <laughs> yeah, they're like, I, uh, I've been working on Restar for 1,200 hours. But I mean, I almost feel like that's, uh, like presence, med- like mindfulness meditation in a weird way. Yeah, well, because if you only have one video game that you care about, that would be super cool. It becomes like a meditation, right? Like, you don't even have to think about sort of the moves anymore. It's all muscle memory and reflex. And then you get to this weird, Transcend- transcendental state where you're, you're moving before the game moves. And then you get that world record number one spot. Bweep, bweep, bweep. I, uh, I definitely had that relationship with Metal Gear Solid 2. I can never play a game twice. I've, I've played Metal Gear Solid 2 dozens and dozens of times on every difficulty, as I do with pretty much all Metal Gear games. Is Metal Gear Solid 2 the one with, uh, Behind and the brother and Psychomantis. I mean, that's 
in one as well. There is a hind, there is a brother, and there is psycho. No, there is no psycho mantis in two. Okay, then yeah. So that I'm thinking of. You're thinking one. of one. Yeah. What's two? Two is riding. Oh yeah, no, I played part of that and then I got bored. Totally fair. Because but, I I wanted to play a snake and snake was there. Yeah, he was he, Snake Plissken from was, Escape from New York. He was present, but you couldn't play as him. And I was like, "This isn't as fun." I I think that it's really. I wonder about that sometimes because, like, we've talked on this podcast about like the choice paralysis you feel between like watching different movies on Netflix, and I I feel a lot of choice paralysis with video games because I have a very limited amount of time to play video games. And sometimes I'm like, oh, what, what's the best use of my time? If you just had one video game, like when you were a kid and you just had like Link to the Past and that was it. Yeah. Like, I mean, I mean, there was a, there was a, country. there was a period of maybe two years where I think the only video game I played was Pokemon Blue. Really? Yeah. I mean, yeah, I did that too. Like it, it's to the point where it was like, well, I've gotten, I've beaten and I've gotten this far. I've collected all these things. Might as well start over. Yeah. I, I almost feel like it would be, it would be nice to be like, this is just the one. This is the one that I play. And uh, that's how you end up being like a game dad. I, a game dad. Like, like those dads you hear about that just play one game, like a flight simulator or something. Yeah. But like that's their one thing. I mean, I, I get, I don't know. I, I get so excited about buying games. Me too, cause they're always new experiences. Yeah. And maybe it's just a, like a grass is always greener thing. Because now that we're adults and we can buy games, we want to. And but when we no were time. children, when we were children, we had no option. Yeah. So we're like, we don't have money. What do I have? Might as well delete this save file in Donkey Kong Country and play the parts that I can beat again. Yeah. It's like, I mean, that was my experience with Pokemon. I was like, got this Game Boy. I got Pokemon. I have anything else. We, we, I had, uh, Link's Awakening on the, on the Game Boy. Mm-hmm. Only the cartridge got damaged. It couldn't save. Yeah. You could not save your file. Ah, so it's basically minute. It, well, you, you would basically play as long as you could and then try to do better the next time. <laughs> try to get even further. I eventually got into the first dungeon. That's where it stopped. I, I never actually beat the game. Wouldn't it be interesting? I don't know. I'm not a game developer. Wouldn't it be cool to make a video game that's long, that takes a decent amount of hours to beat, and has no save functionality whatsoever, but it's structured in such a way that you can get faster at doing it. Kind of like a roguelike, but not really based on items or procedurally generated things. Yeah, like a story-based roguelike, there's no, like... There's no permanence ever. Everything's wiped clean. But you talk to, I don't know, five people. You know there's only one person you're supposed to talk to. That cuts down next time. And then, you know, you go here, go... It's like slowly building up a speed run. I I think if it's done in a way that's not like gotcha, like, oh, sudden spike trap, or all the mushrooms now are poisonous, you should have known that. Uh Uh-huh. You know, less gotcha and more like, oh, you happen to not defeat the boss because you don't know his weakness yet? All right, well, maybe talk to more people in town, you get faster, faster, you get there again, and now you got the knowledge to defeat the boss. Less gotcha, more pawn. Like gotcha pawn? I uh, I don't want to talk like about... Like a Japanese I, capsule yeah, game? I don't want to talk... We've talked I, about I, video I, games I, for Nyon. I don't want to talk about gotcha pawn, John. You know they're adding hats to Fire Emblem Heroes? They're adding hats. Oh, are you going to buy them? Oh my god. you going to buy those hats? I'm going to put hats on things. I can't stop myself. I have a problem. We've talked I've about... spent over $700... Really? ...on one mobile game, John. Have you? Yes. Oh, give me your phone. No. Over the over the course of two years. Oh, good. So only three hundred and fifty dollars a year. Yeah, man. I didn't just. That's admit like that. a gym membership. Let's talk about racists. Uh, Leah, let's talk about racists because we've talked about video games for let me check way too long. Our whole lives. <laughs> if, if this is supposed to be setting the bar for season three, 
then wow, we just lost half our listenership. <laughs> hey, I think half our listeners are okay. I think that Kingdoms of Amalur thing was good. Everything else, though, yay, 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 That's what we call in the business a long, winding, meandering segue into racism. <laughs> yes, which is what I like to call America. Um, so. I think we might as well just jump right into it. A lot of people are talking about this right now. This happened to, this morning, John. It, it happened this morning. It let, happened in the blink. Let me of set eye. Let me set the stage. Red Sox pitcher Kurt Schilling has an idea. <laughs> no. <laughs> Uh, he's also like a crazy Republican dude. Anyway. I don't know anything about that. He's a baseball player. You know who else played baseball? Roseanne Barr. (laughs) Roseanne, did she? No. Oh. Setting the bar low. Uh, Roseanne Barr. She wasn't in a league of her own. I don't think so. That was Rosie O'Donnell. Much better. Uh, so Roseanne Barr has a show called Roseanne. We all know that. It got picked up for a new season. And the new season that they gave it was the highest rated uh, show on NBC? ABC. ABC. Which is why this is happening, because ABC is a Disney company, John. ABC is a Disney company, and they celebrated uh, with Roseanne, because this is the first time in a number of years that ABC has had a number one spot yes in like that time a, slot for ratings a number one comedy a like, number one comedy yeah roseanne's we show read the same article roseanne showed uh, all of my articles were from tweets uh so roseanne show did very well uh the writing was questionable uh its messages were uh questionable i guess but i mean people are gonna make art who cares uh, I have a certain opinion about this that I will share later, but Roseanne Barr, let me set the record straight, Henry. My voice is leaving. Yeah, what's <clears throat> happening to you? You spoke too much about Kingdoms of Amalur. Yeah, I do smoke too much Kingdoms of Amalur, if you know what I mean. <laughs> That's smoking a joint. Uh, listen, Roseanne Barr is the worst kind of celebrity, in my opinion. How does that? Because she is the kind of celebrity that <sighs> purports to be even-handed, but all she does is propagate harmful, hurtful messages about other people, other celebrities, other organizations, and she propagates harmful conspiracy theories that denigrate the livelihoods and happiness of people who have been through tragedies. Okay, hold on. Name one time that Roseanne Barr has ever propagated a conspiracy theory in her entire life that wasn't today. Okay, that wasn't today. Uh, she's a big pizza gator. She's a pizza gator? She she honestly believes that she has non-public information about Pizzagate, threatened to disseminate this information, proving that Pizzagate is real, and then uh, <laughs> ABC had to tell her to shut up. And uh, she did. For those of you who don't know, Pizzagate is a conspiracy theory that very high, powerful members of the Democratic Party have a child sex ring in the basements of pizza parlors, in the Washington DC area. Yeah, so she's a she's a big time pizza gator. Uh she has been for seemingly ever uh kind of propelling this borderline anti-Semitic George Soros rhetoric about how evil George Soros is. I said not today, John. She's done it for years. Oh. Uh, She just did it again today. She also, today, as long as we already ripped the band-aid off, said something about Chelsea Clinton apparently being married to a, like, a nephew of Soros, which would be like, that's gotta be a matter of public record, right? Yeah. Uh, She's not. It's completely untrue. And Roseanne Barr has consistently uh, brought forward really dumb conspiracy theories and has attacked people and ruined people's reputation. Uh, also, I believe that she is one of those people who believes that they're like crisis actors for high school shootings. No, don't say Sandy Hook. 
I think that she's a Sandy Hook person. That's a I think. terrible thing. No, she has all the bad Fox News opinions. All right. So she sh- has sh- them and has been very vocal about them for a long time. So she's not well informed. No. <laughs> she she is not at all. And they gave her a show. Well, no, they rebooted an old show. Because I don't know if you know this. Oh, are you, tell- are you saying you- they gave her a show back then? No, no, no. They gave her a show now. Because back then, the show was actually very progressive, very forward-thinking. I am really disappointed. Now, there's a lot of stuff. If you've watched Old Roseanne, there's a lot of stuff that's questionable if you look at it through the lens of modernity. Uh, but I think that for the most part, Roseanne representing this kind of, like, lower middle class, like, white Midwestern life was pretty even-handed and progressive. Yeah, I mean... Not a lot of shows want to focus on middle America. Yeah, I, I thought that it was really cool what Roseanne did. It was really funny. They had really good writers. They had really good characters. Uh, they were pretty progressive in how they treated, like, women. So I, I think that Roseanne did a lot to increase the the cachet of the art form of the sitcom. And so it, it ran its course, of course, as all all things do. Nine seasons. Mm-hmm. Eight with John Goodman, one extra. Yeah. Where they killed him. And then they brought him back later. Yeah, sure. Hand wave. Hand wave that. And uh, they brought it back to, one of, like you said, one of the strongest openings of a show in years. Yeah. In years, John. And and the, the very interesting choice that they made was they were, weren't going to shy away from anything. Roseanne was a Trump supporter in the show. And in real life. What? And in real life. No, the character of Roseanne... Yes. ...was a Trump supporter. Yes. Are you trying to say that she also... Roseanne, the character in the show... Uh-huh. ...is is similar to Roseanne out of the show? I feel like the Roseanne of the show never would have voted for Donald Trump uh, if you watch old episodes of Roseanne. Oh. Uh, but also, I want to make it perfectly clear, I don't think... That making a show about people who voted for a particular person is bad. Yeah, that's I, I don't give a shit. Like a lot of the a lot of the writing about Roseanne was like, this is a harmful viewpoint. How do you glamorize voting for God? It's like I don't give a shit who no. you show that someone voted for. Yeah, no, it, it sh- the language that this is bad. They're showing someone who voted for blank. That's the dangerous language. Anyone should be able to have a show that represents them. Yeah. I mean, who cares? I think that's Except for fine. the Nazis, because they're Nazis. <laughs> yeah, don't, don't, uh, don't put the Nazis on TV. Uh, but then we have today. Yeah, today, uh, some, some, some early morning tweets that irrevocably have changed hundreds of lives. Yeah, some, uh. This is amazing. This John. is, this is one of my favorite things to see happen on Twitter. It's very rare. It almost happened to Elon Musk. Uh, oh yeah. But it's where you make a series of tweets that are so misguided that the entirety of the reading public annihilates you from orbit. Yeah, yeah. The orbital strike lasers lock onto you and your tweeting fingers. Yeah. And they're like, denied. And then there goes everything. Every, she, she has lost everything. Yeah. So it turns out, uh, just to make it a, a matter of record on the podcast, because the tweet is deleted. You can find screen caps of it. Uh, essentially, what she did was, uh, Valerie Jarrett, uh, an African American, uh, member of the Obama administration. She was an aide. She was an aide. Uh, Roseanne Barr on Twitter, uh, said that she looks like, uh, the Muslim Brotherhood. The Muslim Brotherhood. And Planet, and Planet of the Apes. And Planet of the Apes. Had a baby. Had a baby. That was the, I, I'm not even reading it. I just, I've read so many articles about this. And I, I, I was, I was gonna let you say it because I didn't want to repeat it, but you made a good point about for record. Yeah, I, I think it's important that people know. I, I don't think we should scrub her comments from the record because people need to know that they were made from a misinformed, ignorant, and hateful place, and pretty obviously are a racist place. In addition to that, she also did the Chelsea Soros Clinton thing, and then went after George Soros saying that he was a Nazi supporter, 
he when he's Jewish. Yeah. And, and so those three things are basically what everyone is sort of reacting to today. And really the Valerie Jarrett thing was that was the crux. That that was that was the big one. But I, I love when someone is such a dumb shit that what they put out into the world makes people go, "Wait, no. Like, hold on." <laughs> Like, I love when celebrities just cross the line where people are like, oh, f- fuck you, hold on, no, stop that. But- uh, so, really, the ultimate fuck you, stop that, ABC straight up cancels her show. Which is insane, John. They took their highest earning comedy, something they celebrated openly that they finally had, within uh, hours they canceled, not saying we will have serious talks, not saying there's something that needs to be done about this, not saying we will make changes, a very short statement saying we are canceling the show. And so you you have to think, oh, if they're that ready to cancel the show, the ratings must have been bad. It must have been testing well. They were already ready to get rid of it. Mm-hmm. Completely and utterly wrong. Like yep. you said, highest rated show... First time they've had a highest rated show in a, in a really long time. And they had already renewed it for season 11. Yep. They, and it hadn't even finished its 10, 10 episode season run. Yeah, they, uh, they, they, it's, it's insane. There's, there's two sides of it to me. Number one, I'm so glad because there's a lot of nuance to this. There's a lot of people worked on that show who are smart, talented, uh, had a lot of stuff going on in their life. And they were already starting to pull away because, uh, an executive consultant for the show, Wanda Sykes. Don't know if you heard from her. Yes, I've heard from Wanda Sykes. <laughs> heard of her is what I meant to say. Yeah. Uh, she tweeted shortly after, I will not be returning to yeah. Roseanne's show. Uh, people, people fled that ship. But I know that there were a lot of talented people who are about to be out of work. Uh, and I know that you can't judge someone for the opinions they have if they haven't had the same opportunities you've had. And it's always good to look at things from an even uh handed perspective uh also the second part the second side of that coin is fuck roseanne bar and fuck her stupid show yeah like i'm so happy that happened i mean i have no i don't have as much vetrol uh, about this person as as you do mm-hmm. uh because I, I i she's never crossed my sphere yeah basically uh, i i just the this precedent that we're setting where moralistic values outweigh Money and outweigh a show that that is seemingly like the flagship of your programs, canceling it in its prime. That is the most anti-capitalistic thing that has happened in the past five years, and it is amazing. It's it's so good. It's so good. Even I, I have to compare it to like even when Charlie Sheen had his series of meltdowns over multiple talk shows and tantrums on set, they they. They wrapped up the season yeah. before they got rid of him. And then they kept the show. And I I think that it's... I think it's something that has to be done because you can't keep giving someone like that a platform. But it's so awesome that they just killed the show. Because they're like, there's no, there's no coming back from it. Like, this can't be rewarded. And if this is, if this is like, because it's owned by Disney, and, and everything I've read... It's basically basically saying Disney spokesmen are saying, mm-hmm. not like APC representatives. If this is because Disney owns it, then maybe Disney owning things is not bad. If more, I mean, they've got enough money that it probably doesn't matter to them in the long run. Mm-hmm. ABC doesn't even have to do well for them to stay afloat as a company, probably. I mean, not even probably, 100%. Yeah. ABC can keep can keep going. Yeah, I don't. It, it's it, I don't know. We need more of that. We need because look, we're at, we're in an age where celebrities are they're getting caught for scandals and their careers are ending. That should not just be for sexual assault and yeah. for the other things that are coming to light. That should be for yeah racism. Tackle it, it. It should be for setting a precedent to not reward people for being reprehensible. Exactly. Because not being reprehensible is a low bar. A low Roseanne bar. Uh, oh my god. But the the other thing that kind of bums me out about this, not to be like a Debbie Downer, because it's awesome it happened. Great that it's cancelled. Fuck that stupid show. Uh, 
Can of worms is being opened. Can of worms is being opened right now. Crink. That's the sound of a can. It sounded of like a turkey. <laughs> oh. Uh, <laughs> wait, can I try again? Yeah. <laughs> That's worms. Okay. Or what eats them. So, uh, I think that it's kind of a bummer that the only thing that I could think of seeing this is like, man, it's cool that that show get canceled and people acted fast and they didn't reward that behavior. But given who Roseanne Barr is and what she's said on Twitter, what she's been publicly claiming for years, like, it's a shame that it takes that much to take someone's platform away. Like, it's not an issue of Roseanne Barr came out and was racist and crazy and repugnant one time and then they canceled it. It's, she was that so often uh, that she grew comfortable enough to say something truly monstrous. Yeah. And we shouldn't have a system in place that rewards people up to when they become monsters. Well, I mean, we... We. They. The nation elected one president. Yeah, so... I I think that... uh, I think we've proved... There's a really good Onion article (laughs) that uh, says, Viewers displeased uh, with unrealistic Roseanne canceling showing that racists face consequences. (laughs) I mean... (laughs) There's there's a reason why they're kind of... they. They're waiting to release the next season of House of Cards. Because no scandal is big enough anymore. Yeah, there's a... I I don't know, man. Uh, Look. It's it's a bummer that it took so long. I'm happy it happened. I... I... I I had somewhere to go and I don't remember where it was. Uh, That's fine. (laughs) Think on it. It's not going to come to me. It was in the moment. This is good air. This is really good air. Uh, so, it's a bummer, but it's done. Roseanne is done. What are you doing, Henry? I can't think of we'll what say, I wanted to say. Well, that thought is dead. Think no, of new thoughts. This is 100% of my brain capacity is trying to retrieve the deleted file. I can't. No, you'll think of it next episode and we'll do a follow-up. Yeah, it's not going to happen. <laughs> I had so much planned for this segment. Where did it go? Oh my god, Henry. Henry, I understand that you're sad. I understand that you're sad. I understand that you're sad that Roseanne is cancelled. All of this is staying in. Anyway. All, every... Did you know ABC is is run by an African... (laughs) An African-American woman You are falling apart Did you know that ABC was run by an African-American woman? I did not know that That's pretty amazing (laughs) Yeah, pretty pretty unsurprising given Probably why the reaction was so strong Oh, the owner of ABC Oh, her name's Valerie Jarrett No, it's Dungy Oh, yeah Wait, Uh, Tony Dungy? The ex-head coach of the Patriots? Maybe so I don't know Alright, so I keep circling back to it. <laughs> Henry, it's fine. It's fine. Listen. Henry. I'm just setting the bar low. That's all this is. Well, that, let me tell you something, Henry. What's up? You know how I can free you from this pain? By ending the episode? I can end this episode. But John, <laughs> anyway, be said. Here's, here's the thing, listeners. I'm giving you, I'm seriously giving you like 30 more seconds. I got nothing, man. Okay. Show, co show, ship, ship. <laughs> That's right. Sh- co, co show, shit, shit, show. And, uh, if, if you want to co, co, show us, or if you want to, uh, tell us what Henry's final thought was, you can, of course, tweet us at zcpcwhj on twitter.com, which stands for Henry. Co-runner 
If you if you want to uh if if you want to whatever that was, uh you can tweet us. Uh you can also send us something longer, uh if you've got good ideas, because we sure as hell don't at zero credits is a podcast at gmail.com. We also stream video games sometimes on twitch.tv slash zero credits. Maybe we'll play through the entirety of Kingdoms of Amalur Reckoning. Probably not. I don't know how long that video game is. We're on Facebook. You can find us. Uh, the second most important thing is rate, comment, subscribe on iTunes. We gotta make sure we get those analytics up. We gotta run contests. You could win a, a million dollars. <laughs> Hold uh, on. And thank you, Rhode Island. And the most important thing is that you've gotta tell your friend, tell your frife, Tell the world or die in strife because word of the mouth is the only way we can survive. Tell all your friends. If you tell one friend, he'll tell one friend. He'll tell one friend. You've told one friend who has told their friend who's told their friend. And that's already a friend. And as always. Wait, no. no what, what, what as always? As always? What were you going to say? I don't know. You were going to do my thing? You, you seemed infirm. I'm not infirm. Okay, fine. Just what I try to talk about. <laughs> okay. Koshimo. Okay. I'm sorry, Koshoroshimo. Hey, do you want to know what I was going to say? What? The co-showrunner, <laughs> Whitney Cummings, uh-huh. she left back in March. Who knows why? Oh, she smelled it in the air. Uh, but... As we always like to say at this particular point in the podcast, everyone here at the Zero Credits Studios apartment want to wish you a happy week. Goodbye. Bye. Fuck.